Your experience at Joy Church will be unlike any church service you have ever attended before. We are not about religion. We are about a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. At Joy Church, you'll hear live and vibrant praise and worship music. You will be loved and encouraged. You will be confident that your children will learn about Jesus in a fun and safe environment. You'll be assured that your youth will be loved and accepted not only for who they are, but challenged to become who they were created to be. At Joy Church, God's Word is delivered through creative, humorous, and relative teaching that will help you apply the Bible to your life. There is a place here at Joy Church just for you, where you can begin to develop a vibrant and exciting relationship with Jesus Christ and discover your divine destiny. Come on, I got a few more folks in the house. Uh, not too many, but I'm expecting you to make a little bit more noise. I'm just glad to have anybody here in the house. Those of you at home, right in your Spider-Man pajamas, go ahead, give me an amen right there. You know you want to do it. We're excited about our new series. Here it comes. It is going to be called Seasons. And I love the subtitle, Life is Not as Bad as You Think It Is, but I can promise you life is as bad as you think it is. Let's talk about it. This is really huge. This is something I've never preached before in 36 years of ministry, but this is going to really, really, really help everybody, not only the few folks in the house, but all of you there at home. We've literally had over... 11,000 people uh, just last week viewing with us, and we're honored to have you. Uh, everybody is growing in the things of God, and this is a very timely word, I believe, downloaded by the Spirit of God directly for you, and I think it's really going to help everybody in the house. Uh, my wife's here, as I mentioned. You saw her a moment ago. She's very beautiful. She is a, such a great mother. She has really raised Jonathan, my 17-year-old son, very well. Not to mention me, the pink sweater-wearing pastor. She has raised me really well. I think she's had more trouble with me than John, but I thank God for her. Now, right off the bat, in this new series, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about a church scandal. And I know out, you all about uh, social media, you love this kind of thing. So get ready to post. This is going to be juicy. Those of you uh, chatting with us, man, come on, just hashtag this everywhere. My wife has been married to so many people. Well, I figure there's not that many people here. I might as well confess it through technology. Yeah, she's been married to a guy that worked for $5 an hour at a local church when he was starting out in ministry. Then she was married to a youth pastor. Then after that, she was married to a Bible school president. And then after that, she was married to a pastor. And after that, she was married to a pastor with a young child. I'm looking at my wife. Boy, you've been busy. After that, she was uh, married to a pastor of a very small church. After that, she was married to a pastor with a teenager of a very large church. At one point, she was married to a guy that had gray hair. <laughs> now she's married to a guy who's got a little darker hair but could use a little pace because his true colors are starting to shine through. All of those people, I hope you figured it out by now, is me. 
She's been married to me for almost 30 years, and those have been seasons in our life that we've had to evolve through. And if at any point in our life that she got stuck in one season, we wouldn't have the beautiful relationship that we have right now. I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, life consists of seasons. Let's take a look at our key verse here, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. I, I love this verse. I could quote it to you, but I want you to see this. Riley wants to see it, so let's check it out together. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. Watch us now to everything. Everybody say everything. Come on, say it like you mean it. Everything. To everything, there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven here, according to the second wisest man in all the universe, that's Solomon. Jesus was, of course, the wisest. To everything, and that Hebrew word means everything, to everything there is a season. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, you have to successfully navigate those seasons to successfully navigate life. Let's break it down. Let me give you four thoughts on seasons. That only makes sense because there are only four seasons. So I'm going to give you four thoughts on seasons. Thought number one, check it out. There are two ways to look at a season of crisis. If you haven't been paying attention, if you haven't been looking out there, there's a little something going on. It's been going on for a while. And I want you to know, and I've said this over and over and over, to the earth, this is a crisis. But to God... This is only an incident. It's all how you look at it. And there are two ways to look at anything in a crisis. And I can tell you, during this quarantine, there's two ways to look at everything. Check it out. Good evening, I'm Charles Callahan and this is the Nightly News. I'm only wearing shorts because I can. Hey honey, I'm live right now? Yeah, I told you, I, I will take out the trash as soon as we... Yes, okay. As you can tell, I'm not in the studio this evening, but in the comfort of my own home. Please send help. We do have some good news. Police are reporting that crime is at an all-time low. Burglaries are down to nearly 0%. Traffic collisions are down to nearly 0%. While new cases of husband and wife fights are up to 532,684. I told you I'd take out the trash later! 685. I'm Charles Callahan, and I'll be sleeping on the trampoline tonight. ways to look at anything in a crisis, ladies and gentlemen, no question about it. Let me help you right off the bat. Let me help you see some crummy characteristics of crisis. I'm going to put them all up at once because we don't need to spend a lot of time here. And I'm telling you right now, I have watched a lot of crummy responses to crisis. Check it out. Wow, look, look at this. Look at I'll put them all up together. They're fear, depression, Despair, loneliness, frustration, abandonment, worry, anxiety, hopelessness, crime, 
abuse, domestic violence, and suicide. And I want you to know that sounds like your favorite country music song, does it not? Let me try over here to this camera. Let me see if they're paying any more attention. Yeah, I can tell that they understand what I'm saying over here on this camera. Now, listen to me closely. I know that those things are difficult, and I know those things are challenging. Matter of fact, let me give you an eye-opening statistic. For every 1% that unemployment goes up, suicide rate goes up 1.6%. Listen to me very closely. This virus is lousy, but there are worse things than the virus. I'll tell you that. There are a lot of crummy responses to crisis, and I'm watching a whole lot of that. And you know this LifePoint, it's the subtitle. This is what this whole series is about. I just mentioned a moment ago, life is not as bad as you think it is, but life is always as bad as you think it is. You've heard me say throughout so much of my ministry, there's two kinds of people in life. There are people that allow their enthusiasm to infect their environment, and then there are people that allow the environment to infect their enthusiasm. There's two kinds of people in life. There are people that people say, all right, well, the, those people that are happy, they're grateful. No, I turn that around. It is the grateful people that are happy. Life is not as bad as you think it is, but I can tell you life will always be as bad as you think it is. Now, those are some crummy characteristics. Let's turn it around and let's give you some Christ-like characteristics in crisis because this is how we need to respond. There's a huge difference here. I love this. I'm going to give you seven thoughts about this, seven sub-thoughts. Very important. Check it out. Crisis can produce unity. Can produce unity. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, you could, you've seen that in any kind of emergency. You know that. You could be fighting with your neighbor. You're living in an apartment complex and fighting with your neighbor all the time. This is somebody that you hate. This is somebody you don't get along with. But all of a sudden, there's a fire in the apartment complex, and now the two of you are bonded together because of this crisis. Certainly not telling you that God caused it. He did not. Certainly not telling you that he allowed it. He did not. But I'm just telling you, if we'll let it, crisis can bring us together. And I've seen a whole lot of unity. It can bond us. It will let us. Really, I've seen a whole lot of unity among humanity except for in politics. But that doesn't surprise anybody, does it? And I do want you to know, it's amazing. I, I, I know as a, I'm a big college football fan. And by the way, we must have college football. I don't care if we have to have the stadiums empty. I want college football. And life is all about me, is it not? It is. I got an amen here in the house, and so clearly they believe that that is the case. I do want you to know, as a Big Ten football fan, I'm originally from up north, here I am in hostile SEC country. So anytime that I see anybody uh, from my school up in Ohio, instantly it bonds us together. The crisis of being in hostile SEC country provides unity for all Big Ten football fans. And so I do want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, crisis can, if we'll let it, produce unity. Second thing that we need to understand about crisis is crisis can produce community. 
and it really can produce community. I, I remember uh, my wife and I, this was last fall, or the early portions of fall, uh, we were in South Carolina, and a hurricane was coming, and they had evacuated most of the island where we were. And I remember at that time, it was really unique because we stayed, and there were just a few people on the island left, and, and it was a whole lot like Survivor, you know, that show Survivor. And it, was, it, was like the, it was like the rapture had occurred, and, and, and we were the only ones left, or maybe it was like the zombie apocalypse or something, and very few folks there. And it was amazing that when we saw a few people that were there, and we only saw a few people, we instantly bonded because they were like the only people on the island. We had really no knowledge of them whatsoever, but it's like, oh, hi. You know that if you've ever been to another country and maybe you're in France or whatever and you see people from America and you're from Tennessee and where are you from? I'm from Chicago. Do you know Billy Johnson from Chicago? No, I don't know. Chicago is a fairly large city, but you instantly bond because you're two Americans in France. It can produce community. Third thing, and this is a positive thing, it's all how we look at this. Number three, check it out. Crisis can produce empathy. And oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen, it can really produce a compassion for other folks. And boy, do I have that. I've seen a few new faces here in the church, and I can't even tell you, I was over here fighting back tears because I just love seeing these faces. You have to understand as a pastor, I am a gatherer. That's what pastors do. We gather. I'm not a scatterer. I don't like this time right now. I, I really don't. I don't. I, I want to reach out and hug everybody. And that time will come. We're not there yet, but that time will come right now. Here's a virtual hug to all of you tens of thousands of folks that are watching online. But really, crisis can produce empathy. I remember my father-in-law, who's now retired. Uh, he's a doctor, retired doctor, and, you know, he grew up a long time ago. He's about 173 or somewhere along those lines. Big shout out to my father-in-law who's watching online with us now, and God bless you, Big Al. And so he's been around a long time, and as a doctor, he was trained in a time where there was not a whole lot of bedside manner. It was just kind of fix the thing, take it out, uh, plop it on the table, and, and call it a day. Squirt it with some, some band, put a Band-Aid on there, and put some Bactine on there, and that's it. We're done. Have a good day. There's not a lot of bedside manner. Now we live in a more compassionate, in touch with your feelings kind of a, a society. I remember when he went through some heart challenges himself. And I remember talking to him, and I remember after he walked through that and walked through it successfully, thank God, he developed a whole lot more empathy and compassion for the patients that he was treating simply because of the crisis that he walked through. Again, once again, let me make it overly clear. God's not causing it. God's not allowing it. But if we'll let him He'll teach us in spite of what the enemy is endeavoring to do. If we'll react to it correctly, because life is never as bad as you think it is, but it is always as bad as you think it is. If we'll let God, we can develop empathy and compassion for others. Boy, is that true? The fourth thing that 
Crisis can do if we'll let it and took it, look at it in a very positive way. Crisis can produce priority. And boy, is that important. Crisis can produce priority in our life. Now, all of a sudden, we realize what means something and what doesn't mean something. What used to bother us no longer bothers us. I mean, dear, dear me, somebody, with, uh, we got a, a photo from uh, my mother and father-in-law today. They were, they've been in a, in a retirement home, and they have been locked away for like uh, eight weeks. And finally, the retirement home let them out. And so they were at a breakfast place today, and they sent us a picture. It was like they just escaped from jail. <laughs> Hallelujah. We we're free. We're out. We're eating breakfast somewhere. This is awesome. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, all of a sudden you realize what's important and what's not important. Crisis, if we'll let it, can produce priority. Listen, please understand there's a big difference between standard of living and simply a quality of life. God wants us to understand quality of life is always more important than standard of living. Jesus is important. His kingdom is important. The family is important. Constitutional rights are important. And now all of a sudden you understand what's important and what's no longer important in life. And if we understand in crisis, now we can begin to understand what means something. Fifth thing that we need to know if we're going to handle this thing positively. Number five, crisis can produce a love for humanity. Oh, I'm going to tell you right now. I love humanity more. And I've always loved humanity. But I love, I'm seeing right now two wonderful faces that are here for the first time. I cannot tell you how beautiful those faces are. I love seeing a few new faces in the house. I thank God I have a love for people like never before. And I cannot wait to touch you people. My son, I felt so bad for my son the other day. He said, Dad, I gave him the big old hug. And he said, he said, Dad, you're the only person during this whole time. And Mom, that's hugged me. Man, I just wanted, wanted me to just grab him even harder and just hug him. And I, I'm going to tell you right now, you do whatever you want to do. But during this time, I'm still going to be a dad. And there's nobody, nothing's going to stop me from that. Just try to pull me apart from my son or from my wife. You, you, you won't like it. I know I'm wearing a pink sweater. I don't look real tough right now. Don't make me take this pink sweater off. I do want you to know nobody or nothing is going to stop me from hugging my son. I love my son. And I gave him an extra big hug just a moment ago when I walked in the sanctuary. I want you to know if we'll let it, crisis can produce some really wonderful things in our life. God's not causing it. He's not allowing it. But we can grow right in the midst of it. We can get better. We can get stronger. We can come out of this thing a whole lot more mature. I got an amen over there to the side. Thank God for Lisa Wright. What a beautiful mother and daughter song. How wonderful. The sixth thing that crisis can produce is crisis can produce simplicity. Again, now all of a sudden, just a simple, life doesn't have to be all that complicated. It's okay to not answer all the phone calls. It's okay to be away from social media for a little bit. It can produce some simplicity. Be still and know that he is God. And I know they're telling everybody to stay inside, but I want you to know outside is good. Just to be out 
And you could still stay away from people, but be outside and just be still and know that he is God. And he's a good God. And he loves you. That's what they were singing about in that beautiful song. He is for you. You remember where it talks about in Revelation, Revelation 19 and verse 11, and this is not on my notes. This is just something that I feel coming up in my heart. Remember in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, Jesus is coming back at the end of the tribulation period. He's on that white horse. And the Bible says on his thigh is written faithful and true. That's one thing I know about the Lord through difficult times. He is faithful and he is true. And those go hand in hand because you cannot trust someone who doesn't speak the truth. He is faithful and he is true. And I want you to know this season, it will have an end to it because God is faithful and true. Next thing you need to understand is crisis can produce spirituality. Man, listen, as I've been saying over and over, and you say, Pastor, why do you keep repeating this? Because it has been repeated so wrongfully throughout the body of Christ through so much teaching. And I mean, good people that love God and they have a good hearts, but they just don't know fully the Bible. They've been teaching some really, really lousy things during this time. And I'm watching it turn sinners away from Jesus, not to Jesus. They're turning them away from the Lord. And I'm going to say it one more time. God didn't cause it. God did not allow it, but he will use it just like he will use anything. If you let him use it, it can create in you a spirituality. It can create in you a hunger for him. It can create in you. And may I challenge everybody in the house. I watch so many Christians. They're what I call crisis Christians, and they treat God like a spare tire. They just pull him out in emergency. And listen, in emergency, he's the guy to turn to. But don't treat them like a spare tire that when the emergency's over that you just put them back up on the shelf and I'll, I'll pull you out next emergency. I'm challenging everybody listening to me that once this season is over that we're going to maintain our walk with God at a very strong level. I remember 911, and the churches were filled for about a month. And once that month was over, man, everybody just went right back to doing the same old, same old. Remember that? Do you know that right now the Bibles are flying off the shelves? Bibles are being sold at a higher level than ever before. People are turning the Word of God, and I thank God for that. But may I also challenge you, when this season is over, let's not treat God as a spare tire. Let's keep him out every day. Let's put him first every day. Let's make him our priority. Let's develop a high level of spirituality. So the first thing that we need to understand, because all of life is seasonal, is that you can look at crisis in two ways. You can look at it a crummy way, or you can look at it in a Christ-like way. And may I challenge you to do that. The second thing that you need to know about seasons, and I love this, number two, crisis is seasonal. Crisis is seasonal. Let's talk about this. Now, let's, I want you to I want you to really turn your hearing ears on, to focus out all of the other distractions that are going on, and really focus here because crisis, listen to me, is 
seasonal. Let me give you seven thoughts about that. We'll only cover five today. That's good news. Number one, check it out. God and his promises are permanent. Everything else has a season. Now, I love this. God and his word, they're permanent. Crisis is seasonal. That means it will come to an end. It only has a certain season. God and his word are permanent. Hebrews 13, 8. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. I love that. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. God said, I am God and I never change. Psalms 119 and verse 89. The Bible says that, God, your word is forever settled in heaven. I love that God and his word are permanent. Permanent. Crisis is seasonal. Therefore, if you will latch your life onto the word of God, you will outlast the season of every single crisis. This one will come to an end just like all the other crises that I've gone through in my life. But the key is, what are you attached to? Because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28 that we receive an unshakable kingdom. Therefore, anything that is attached to earth can be shaken. But anything that is attached to heaven cannot be shaken. May I challenge you, attach your life to the word of God as never before. Let me show you a scripture. This is pretty powerful. Psalm 62 and verse 6, I can quote this to you, but I want you to see this. Psalm 62 and verse 6. Simple verse, but very powerful. I love this. He, this is God, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. I love this. Anthony Cooper, he is only my rock. God is your rock. What is he trying to say? You ever, you ever heard the term in, in, in old Bible songs, he's the rock of ages? You've seen that. Maybe if you've got a large a boulder in your back. Uh, we've, we've got Mike Pruitt here. He runs a phenomenal uh, landscaping company. I promise you. He comes into all kinds of boulders. And I'm going to tell you right now, a huge boulder, season in, season out, generations come, generations go, but that rock of ages lasts forever. And that's what your God, according to his word, ought to be to you. He only is your rock. He's your defense. And when you put your life on the rock of God's word, you will not be moved. And Bill Stanky, that will allow you to outlast whatever season that you're presently in. Come on, right at home, right in your apartment. Come on, that's got to be helping you. Right now is the time to get up and just do a little lap around your apartment. Come on, that's good preaching right there. He only is your rock. You shall not be moved. He is the rock of ages. He is good, and he is good all the time. He is good, and he does good things. Your God is 
is good. And he's your rock. Second thing that you need to understand about seasons and how seasons are simply temporary. Number two, check it out. Never look at a temporary problem as permanent. Now, this is huge because when you begin to do that, when you look at a temporary problem as permanent, that's when people become suicidal. No hope. Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes a heart sick. You need to know this is not going to last forever. And I don't care what the media is prophesying. This is not going to last forever. There is hope. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And when you put all of your emotions into something temporary and, and think it's going to be permanent, that's when people lose their hope. And you need hope during this hour. And hope is not wishing. Hope is the Greek word elpis. It is a confident expectation of future good. I have a confident expectation of future good, and I'll tell you why. My hope is not in the world. My hope is in God and His Word. And your Bible tells you in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19 that hope is an anchor to our soul. It locks us down to His Word and not to that which is temporary. That's worth coming for right there. Third thing that we need to know, check it out, events don't have to be a lifetime. They're seasonal. I talk to you about that all the time. I watch people, they go through divorce, and they make that divorce a lifetime when it's only an event. Now listen to me very closely, and I don't want you to hear this. We, just uh, before all of the shutdown, I was able to officiate. I don't do this much, but I wanted to do this for this couple. What a beautiful couple. They were married. I think if I'm getting these details right, they were married 40 years ago. And 40 years later, they rediscovered one another and got remarried. I, I love that. I officiated their wedding. It was such a beautiful thing. I, they, I mean, the, the husband was crying. It was just really, really touching. But I want you to know they could have been stuck in 40 years ago and made it a lifetime. Instead, it was just an event. And may I challenge everybody in the house. Crisis is not a lifetime. It's an event. Better seasons are coming. Fourth thing that you need to know, check it out. Seasons give hope. Now, I want you to look at this verse. I could quote it to you, but I want you to see this. Matthew 24 and verse 32. This is all about, Jesus is prophesying about the end of the time period, the end of the age, the last of the last days. And he says in Matthew 24 and verse 32, I love the verse, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, watch this now, you know that summer is near. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying there is a season that's about to change. See, in Matthew 24, it talks all about all kinds of lousy things. It talks about famines. It talks about pestilence, which is exactly what we're walking through right now. And it's saying right in the middle of those difficult times, there's going to be a fig tree that comes forth. There he's talking about figuratively Israel. 
And he's saying, when all of these things begin to happen, I want you to understand there's a new season that's near. And a lot of times, I want you to get this, during a negative season, you begin to see buds coming. Here's winter, and now all of a sudden you look at the trees and you see a few little buds coming. You see some signs of things receding on the horizon. You see uh, oh, businesses beginning to, to reopen. You see some life beginning to happen. And let me challenge everybody, listen to me very closely. You either are going to get busy living or you're going to get busy dying. Amen. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, a new season is coming. Jesus said right in the midst of negative times, summer is near. And it's designed to give you hope because seasons are only temporary. But God and his word are permanent. Man, this is good stuff. You say, Pastor, no, if you keep preaching this way, you're going to get my hopes up. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. And I watch so many people, they live a life, I don't want to get my hopes up, I'm not, I'm not going to get my hopes up. They literally expect the worst, and then when the worst comes to pass in their life, they brag about it. See, I told you. See, I, I just told you. They, they jump in with everybody else that's negative, which is so easy to do. And when the negative occurs, see, I told you. But I just learned to live a life full of hope. I'm going to get my hopes jacked up just as high as they can go. And no, I'm not scared of getting my hopes stashed because my hope is in the right thing. It's not in man. It's not in politics. It's not in the media. It's not in my circumstances. It is in Jesus. And it is in his wonderful, holy word that lasts forever. People are all the time saying, Pastor, how can you be so stable during all this? I know all that you're doing. This is a, a super busy time for you. Uh, how can, and that's why I can be so stable. It's not because of the pink sweater. It is because of God and his word. There is hope. There's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not an oncoming train. I see the bug of a new season coming. Summer is near. Boy, that's good preaching. Four or five or six ameners that I got here. God bless you. And then the last thing you need to know, I'm going to close with this. How bad can this be? Number five, check it out. Successful people learn how to outlast the season. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22, I love this verse. The Bible says, as long as the earth remains, and last time I checked, the earth is still remaining, there is seed time and harvest, summer and winter. In other words, you've just got to learn how to outlast the negative season that's in your life right now. And successful people learn how to do that. Now, I've been doing this a long time. I've been in ministry. As I said, this is my 36th year of ministry. I've been through all kinds of quote-unquote crises. And I want you to know I learned how to outlast them. Uh, David said in Psalms 37, verse 25, I was once young, now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. In other words, I've been around so long, I've begun to have perspective. And I've been through so many seasons in my life, so many difficult seasons, I just know that if I'll do the right things, I'll outlast every single one. I'm looking at a young man, he's 20 years old. I'm looking at a young man over here, he's 17 years old. I'm looking at a young lady over here who's 18 years old. And sometimes that's a little more challenging for a younger person because they don't have that perspective. 
Uh, listen, I, I will say that this is new. In my lifetime, this is new. But I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this very clearly. This is not unprecedented. Right. Right. The, and, and I keep hearing this. This is unprecedented times. If I hear that one more time, whoever says that, I'm going to punch them in the throat. In love. <laughs> totally in love. But, but in the throat. Because I want you to know... No, 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 this is not unprecedented time. This may be an unprecedented time in my life or your life, but this has happened before. These pandemics have been in 1918, in the 1800s, have been way worse pandemics than what we're walking through right now. It's not unprecedented. That was a season. This is a season, and we have to learn how to outlast the season. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, that I'm originally from up north. I'm from Akron, Ohio, so I grew up where it snowed all the time. It was outside of Lake Erie, and so we got all kinds of lake effect snow. I mean, just I can remember snow drifts as high as my chest, and I'm not exaggerating. So I grew up learning how to drive, you know, in the, in the snow, and that's, God bless us, We're here, we live here in Tennessee. Every once in a while, we'll get a little bit of dusting here in Tennessee. It's, it's humorous. And, and I'm not concerned about the dusting. I'm just concerned about you Tennessee drivers. You people have not learned how to drive in the snow, and I can tell. So I try, when it's snowing outside, to stay home as much as I can. Not because I don't know how to drive in the snow. I do know how to drive in the snow, but because of you. I'm concerned about you. And I so said, I grew up in the snow, and I grew up in the winter. And it's, it's really funny because I had that growing up. My son, when he sees snow, he's like, wow, Dad, this is awesome, because he grew up in Tennessee. So he, he, he didn't see any of that. Me, I, listen to me. I'm going to make a confession and share this with all you tens of thousands of people online. Listen to me. I hate winter. <laughs> I, I really hate winter. I have to choose joy throughout all of winter. Now, some of you, I know you're big skiers and you love it, but God bless you. You can take all of my snow. You can have it for forever. You people that love to go to the mountains where there's snow, God bless you. Have a good day. I, I'm a, don't, t don't tell anybody. I know, I know, don't you tell a soul. Don't put this on social media. I'm secretly rooting for global warming. I want 90 and humid all year long. That's what I want. I don't like cold weather. I don't like, I don't like the winter. So I have to choose joy through the entire thing. And there's many reasons that I have to choose joy. One, the Tennessee drivers, that's what I mentioned earlier. But two, all of the Hallmark Christmas things, the, the ongoing Hallmark thing. It starts in October, October. Christmas in October for months, every single day. And I'm telling you, you think I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. I promise you there's going to be two things in hell. Disco music and a hallmark. Just playing over and over and over. And you think, and see, you say, okay, well, once you get past, uh, past Christmas, then you, you made it. No, no, you have not. Because after that's over, they have a thing on Hallmark called Winterfest. Winterfest is just the same thing minus the Christmas. It's just Hallmark in the snow. So it's a double curse. I don't like winter. I don't like the snow. I don't like Hallmark. I have to simply survive winter. It's a season. I'm going to give you my, here's how I do it. This is, this is, this is I, I brought this in for you. These are my wool socks. They are so thick. These, baby, please understand, I have very, very little body fat. 
And so my little tootsies, to the man with the pink sweater, my little tootsies in the winter get really cold. And so I, from about October through all the way to the beginning of March, I wear these beautiful things. I love my wool socks. They are what allows me to get through winter. I have learned how to successfully navigate winter. It is with wool socks, and then every time I have a man cave, every time that Hallmark is on, I go by my wife, I go by Hallmark, I make it down to my man cave, and then I choose joy, and that has how I have learned to successfully navigate a season I don't like. Now, we're having a lot of fun with that, and I know there's a lot of serious challenges going on around us. I know that, but I'm making you laugh for a reason, because I want to pour truth down you while your mouth is open while you're laughing. I know this is serious, I know this is challenging, but it is still a season. And I do want you to know successful people must learn how to outlast the negative season that they're going through. And as long as the earth remains, there is seed time and harvest, summer and winter. So I've learned in the midst of a negative season to keep sowing positive seeds. Keep spending time with Jesus first thing in the morning, in his word, in Psalms 91, claiming his promises on healing, using the authority in the name of Jesus. I'm, I'm learning throughout this time to make sure that I'm sowing seeds towards my family, sowing seeds towards the kingdom of God, and I'm not just turning inward, but I'm turning outward, which I'm very excited to tell you in just a little bit. We've got an outreach to the community that we're planning in the midst of all of this, and it will adhere to social distancing and all of that, but there still is a way to reach out to people in the midst of this negative season. We're sowing positive seeds in the midst of a negative season, and in doing so, we will outlast that negative season. So I want you to know, church, life is not as bad as you think it is, but life is always as bad as you think it is.